Welcome to Fireside Nets, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are your hosts. I'm Spen Harris. He's Nick Shanman. I Why wouldn't would you necessarily your, your middle name, my last name. Well, because I have a star name, Spen Harris, and I just used our last name for you because your your middle name is David. Nick well, then David I prefer then I prefer Sticky Nikki. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily call this an emergency podcast because. The big news broke at 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on February 9th. But this is a necessary podcast. Normally we record on Monday nights, Tuesday nights. Uh, it's Thursday afternoon around 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, we, needed, we needed to do this episode uh, because... You know, normally people put out extra content as a good thing, right? It's like, oh, right. we got, we're going to keep putting content out. Like, I don't want to... I don't like this content we're putting out. This is a this is a negative emergency podcast. I, I said it was necessary. I didn't say that I was enjoying myself. Um, I want the, you to the, know I'm unhappy, and I want you to be unhappy. I'm extremely unhappy. So, like, it we're, took we're every getting... fiber of my being not to crack a beer because I'm technically still on. Oh, the top. I I have uh, some whiskey. You already drink, you're drinking Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey at four o'clock on a Thursday. I haven't started drinking yet. I was going to pour a glass when we started podcasting. I, mean, I like to drink when we podcast. Yes, Look, we're dancing around the elephant uh, in the arena. Kevin Durant is Mom's no longer not in the arena. Sorry. What'd you say? Mom? Nothing. Shit. Kevin Durant is no longer a Brooklyn Net. Traded to the Phoenix Suns for Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, a bunch of first round picks. How many first round picks was it? Keep going. Uh-oh. Nick Nick is having some technical difficulties. And why wouldn't he? This is uh this is the episode that we're, we're going to struggle with. Whether it's technical dis- difficulties, whether it's getting our emotions out there, of course he's he's having trouble. Um I don't have the trade details in front of me. I know it was a lot of picks. I know that that Phoenix they needed to uh they needed to give us a lot of picks for this to make sense because Brooklyn was not gonna was not gonna make a move. Hey Nick, how's it going? Are you, are you back now? Yeah, I was having some technical difficulties. Okay, I need you to read the details. Four picks. Four four picks. What, picks. Are they all first rounders? No, let me see here. Why wouldn't you have the when you start the podcast have the trade details ready? Because I'm obsessed, like, so dude. Terrible I'm upset. at giving people information. Could you? No one cares how upset you are. They actually want to understand what's going on. We traded. Kevin Durant and TJ Warren for four first round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029, and a 2028 pick swap. All right. I so, so don't know exactly where those fall, but I know they're not all fantastic picks. Some are late in the first round. There's nothing pick wise we're getting where we're like, holy shit, this is out in the lottery. Incredible. There's no lottery picks. No. Okay. So I want to start off by saying this this is the end of this era of Brooklyn Nets basketball. It started. When Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant joined the team in 2019, 2019, um, three and a half years later, what do we have to show for it? 
one playoff series win against the Celtics, a cool seven-game series against the Bucs in the second round of the 2021 playoffs, and a few regular season highlights. And that is about it. This era of Brooklyn Nets basketball was not only the biggest failure in the history of the organization, this might be one of the most colossal disappointments in the history of professional sports. And I'm not saying that to be exaggerative. I'm not saying that to be dramatic. I'm saying that because that's exactly what it was. Um, You know, I was able to deal with Harden requesting a trade last year. While it wasn't ideal, I understood at the time why he did it. I I hated him for it, but I I kind of – I held my head high because we still had Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Then last week, Kyrie Irving requests the trade. And news comes out that the Nets are aggressively looking to build around Kevin Durant post Kyrie Irving. So I was a little relieved when that trade happened. A little bit happy that we didn't have to deal with the Kyrie Irving drama anymore. And we can finally focus on, on building a winning basketball team around Kevin Durant. The news last night at, at 1 a.m., it was like a stab in the chest for me. Um, I, I couldn't sleep. I was distraught. I was thinking, you know, why this? Why did this happen to this team that I've loved since I was a seven-year-old kid? You know, I have 20-plus years. You. I have 20-plus years of absolutely worshiping the Brooklyn Nets and, and rooting for them and cheering them on. And one of the best, not one of, the best player to ever put on a Nets uniform decided, you know what, I was done with you guys this summer. I I told you I'd stick it out, but it's just not working for me. You just traded the second best player on the team. I want to go to Phoenix, make it happen. And Phoenix was ready. Like, they they, they were blowing up Sean Marks' phone. I said earlier in the week there was a reason that that Adrian Wojnarowski had brought up Phoenix's name in a tweet linked with Kevin Durant. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I said a lot there, but the main point of my rant is end of an era. I'm extremely disappointed. Um, th- this was, this was an utter failure on, on ridiculously epic pr- proportions. And, uh, you know, I understand that we're in a slightly better place now than when we were in 2013, when we blew up that team, but I, I, I still have that sickening feeling in my stomach and I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, for the rest of the season, especially if if Phoenix and Dallas and Philadelphia, for that matter, if they have a lot of success in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Sixers, if you look at the Suns, if you look at the Mavs, who in Kyrie's first game without Luka, he absolutely crushed it, and they beat the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. Everyone is doing better than the Nets are. Uh, Just to give people some details, since you never have any effing details on you because you're a big, stupid idiot, uh, is because... Kevin Durant and TJ Warren went to the Suns. TJ Warren was drafted by the Suns in 2014. He was there until 2019. He went back to the Suns. We got four picks. We got Mikael Bridges, who I love. Mikael Bridges is a great player. I think he's averaging, I want to say, uh, like 17 shooting 50% this year. But let me just confirm right now. He's averaging 17 shooting 46%, 39% from three, uh, four rebounds, four assists a game. I like Mikael Bridges a lot. Young guy with a lot of potential. Not a superstar. We got Jay Crowder, who we instantly traded. Uh, I think he ended up on the Bucks in a three-way trade with the Bucks and the Pacers. We ended up getting more picks out of that. The Pacers got some more players from the Bucks, uh, like George Hill, Serge Ibaka. 
Um, and then we also gave in this whole grand scheme of things, obviously Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris away um, for Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, and am I missing anyone there? Or is that just more picks as well? It was, it was, I think you had one first round pick and two second round picks. I think that was, uh, and Cam Johnson from the Suns, who I didn't mention after Jake Crowder. So I just right. want to give the people our current roster. Okay. Cause we also, if you don't know, gave uh, Kessler Edwards and cash considerations to the Sacramento Kings. So we're looking right now at Seth Curry, Spencer Dinwiddie, David Duke, Jr. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Ben Simmons, Drew Smith, a two-way player in the G League, Edmund Sumner, Cam Thomas, who's had three 40-point games in a row, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal, Utah Watanabe, Nick Claxton, Dayron Sharp. Am I missing anyone, Spen? I think that's it. Um, and by the way, we are recording this post the trade deadline, so there are no more moves to be made. Uh yeah, I, I think you, you hit everybody. Uh, you got everybody on the roster. So you, you bring that up. Is there a point to why you're, you're you're reading this list off? Do you want to get into how you're feeling? I, I want to hear some of your emotions. Well, all Nick, you because... talk about is how you're feeling. So I want to give people information, okay? You come on here to vent like I'm your fucking therapist. People want to know the actual details of the trades that happened because they need sure, to. Sure, they do. Sure, they do. But if they're listening to this podcast and they're a Nets fan, they probably know what's happening. What right? do you want me to say? So, like I'm, I'm dead inside. I want you to give an opinion, and you know, like I, I appreciate the, the stat reading. I get it. I'm bad at stats, but you're a Nets fan too, man. You texted me this morning talking about how sick you were. I, I want to hear it. I want to hear the frustration, and I want to hear where you're placing blame. I'm just done watching basketball for the rest of the season. Our starting lineup is now uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikhail Bridges. And Nick Claxton, maybe flex Ben Simmons in there for Joe Harris or Seth Curry, whatever, what have you. This is not a basketball team that now has any chance whatsoever uh, at, a, at a championship contender, being a championship contender. We, in my opinion right now, are at 8 to 10 seed in the Eastern Conference, depending on how much we click in these first couple of weeks. And if we can stay on track win-wise, because we're already in a good position in fifth right now. With that said, the East is a super tight race. I mean... It's just, you know what the most disappointing thing to me is? It's not even that I'm not really going to watch, going to be as into the games this season because I feel like the season's over. What's disappointing to me is I'm a diehard Brooklyn Nets fan and nobody wants to play in the city that I live in and love. Nobody wants to play for the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously that's a generalization because we have young guys like Cam Thomas that is giving his effing all to be a Brooklyn Net and prove himself as an elite player in this league. We'll get to him. But you have superstars in this league Kyrie Irving, James Harden, I'll say they're in a league of their own because they're both head cases. They don't ever know where they want to be or where they want to go. They don't handle criticism well. They're bouncing around. They want all the money and all the love in the world. They're never going to get it. They're never going to be satisfied. So they don't want to be in Brooklyn. Then you have Kevin Durant, who to me is always going to be the most bothersome because I talked about this last podcast. Kevin Durant, besides being right now probably the best player in the NBA, you know, what have you, Luka, Giannis, whatever, whatever you're feeling. He actually came to Brooklyn with these young guys, wanted to build it from the ground up, or so he said, then wanted to lead, leave the last offseason. He had a sit-down with Marks. He had a sit-down with Cy. He said he wanted to stay. It sounded like he was confident. He wanted to continue being a net. And then Kyrie leaves, and we're all still seeing the news reports that the Nets have no plans of trading Kevin Durant. We see Kevin Durant in the stands, still hurt, but cheering on Cam Thomas the other day for 40 points. 
loving being in that, loving supporting his teammates. That could just be him now being a facade, being a good guy, not wanting to, you know, have any uh, 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 inklings or hints at what was going on in his mind. But then all of a sudden, he's done being in that. He up and leaves to go to the Phoenix Suns, and we're left with nothing. No elite players that are proud to wear a Nets uniform. And that's what bothers me the most. It's hard to be a fan of a team that nobody feels proud to play for. It makes me question my allegiance to the Nets. Am I rooting for a team that in its core is always going to be riddled with administrative issues and management issues and coaching issues and player issues? Is this organization run so poorly that being a Nets fan now is almost considered questionable, considered a sin? You know how many people love watching this and laughing at this who aren't even Knicks fans, who aren't even Celtics fans, who are just like basketball fans who have always had this internal hatred for the Nets because of all the fuckery and stupidness that goes on within the organization? That's the most embarrassing part to me is I have to now walk out of this apartment in New York City and tell people I'm still a Nets fan despite no player who can give us any sort of deep run in the playoffs wanting to be here. So why the hell should I want to be here, Sven? Hey, Nick Shanman, welcome to the podcast. I I mean, talk about, you know, expressing yourself and and getting your feelings out to the audience. That's what I've been waiting for. I feel nothing. (sighs) Look, Obviously, the outside noise from everybody that was rooting for for the Nets to just crash and burn, it makes everything a thousand times worse. We got a freaking 8 a.m. text from Cousin Ray, the diehard Knicks fan, who who basically has been telling us for the last three years that this thing wasn't going to work out and uh, he can do his little I told you so dance. It's not just him. I, I have a bunch of people texting me asking if I'm okay. You know, how's it going? And I'm not okay. You know, you, you, you said it best. It is very hard to be happy or, or to root for a team when your top three guys don't want to play there. And I know we don't want to kill the front office because for what it's worth, I think Marks has tried to be a good general manager or whatever that means. I, I think he's, he's done some good things. You know, you look at Cam Thomas, you look at Nick Claxton. Those are two guys that, that Sean Marks drafted that have, been pretty solid for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, But you think, when will another superstar ever consider the Nets? The answer is when we build up the right culture and, and we have a winning basketball organization again that has distanced themselves from this team. Because right now, if Damian Lillard or LeBron James or, or any of these superstars, Luka Doncic, if they want to move teams, I don't think they're considering the Brooklyn Nets to be an option right now for two reasons. Number one, we're clearly in a rebuilding mode. And number two, I don't think that people like our front office. I don't think that players like Sean Marks and Joe Sy for whatever reason it is. There was a report. Um, I, I Shout out to Scoopy Robinson. Brandon, Brandon Scoopy Robinson works for Bali Sports. He's a great reporter. He said he, had, uh, he was talking to a, a former Net you know, who played in this era. And he said, hey, they miss you in Brooklyn. And the player responded, shit, I don't miss them. How are we supposed to feel as fans? And, and that I do have to put on the front office. You know, and, and this is not it's, – it's such a difficult conversation because Kyrie Irving was at fault for so many different things. 
but so is Sean Marks and Josiah. They were also at fault for a lot of different things. I don't think there's anybody in this situation outside of Kevin Durant who probably had the cleanest break. Um, but again, he dealt with injury while he was here. He was not available as much as we needed him to be. So there's just so many different ways you can go when, when talking about why this whole thing blew up. Uh, I find myself, Nick, I'm struggling with how I feel because in one sense, I'm happy. I'm relieved. Relieved is the right word that we don't have to deal with this, these bullshit expectations of, oh, you know, are we going to be able to win in this short window that Kevin Durant's playing with the Nets? Can, can we do it with 7-Eleven? Like part of me is happy that we can move past that and try to build a culture the right way which is how the Grizzlies have built the culture. That's a bad example, which is how the Warriors have built the culture. The Kings with young, talented, homegrown players. The best team in the East or the best two teams in the East are the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks drafted Giannis. I think the Bucks drafted Middleton, I think. Um, And Drew Holiday was the Milwaukee Bucks' big acquisition the year they went all the way. The Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they are home grown. So I'm trying to say all this because I'm excited to build our team the right way and build our roster with young, talented guys from the draft. But what makes makes you think we'll build it the right way? um, What what in the history of the Brooklyn Nets organization tells you that we're going to know before Kyrie Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided to go to Brooklyn, we had been building a decent culture here with D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. Those teams were on the rise. They enjoyed playing for Kenny Atkinson. Nick, how much drama do you remember happening when Jared Dudley was on the Nets? And he was, he was, uh, there's no drama on a a team without superstars. There's no drama on a team that doesn't have, isn't a playoff contender. Well, what is there drama with the Clippers? Is there drama with the Nuggets? Of course, those are two teams. I mean, okay, those are small. The Clippers, yes, there's always freaking drama because Kawhi sits out every other game. So there's been a, and also Kawhi and Paul George, like two of the most injury prone elite players. I'll give you the Nuggets have slightly less drama, but they're also a small market team who just happens to have a rising star in Jokic and building a great team around them. Listen, yes, you could find anomalies and exceptions in great teams that have less drama. My point being, you saying Jared Dudley's team doesn't have drama doesn't do anything for me because Jared Dudley's team sucked donkeys. Okay, fine. But why I'm slightly excited and why I think they can maybe do this the right way this time is because they have a ridiculous number of assets and they have a lot of trade, uh, a lot of draft picks. So I, I think that they're in a position where in this in this offseason, if they do it correctly, they have a two to three year window where they can rebuild the right way and maybe be competitive in the East by 2025, 2026. That's what I'm saying. But I think that's a lot concern. more realistic now. Listen, I know you're always going to be looking at it through a more positive light than I am, but that was my exact thing I said Monday that I didn't want to happen with Durant leaving was I'm so sick of pushing back some sort of hopes for a championship. It seems like every year something has to happen for us to not be a contender anymore. Something has to happen for us to now push our dreams back two or three years. So great. You're telling me in two or three years, what are we going to do? Invest all our time and effort into Cam Thomas, and then soon he'll be scoring 40 points a night every night of the entire season? I I, I don't know the answer to that question, but we won't be investing our time into Kyrie Irving. 
I know we that. Now, be, we, but dude, I was happy to get rid of Kyrie. The problem is Durant. I don't think anybody in this Nets in the Nets fan base is like, oh man, Kyrie was so good here. We needed him. Yes, Kyrie's an unbelievable talent. He'll be an unbelievable talent wherever he goes. We all saw that initial press conference with the Dallas Mavericks. He just says sketchy shit that makes you question whether or not you want to support him. So I don't think anybody's sitting here like, man, Kyrie left and we're doomed. KD was the biggest nail in the coffin because that's the one guy who at times is unliked, at times could be questionable, but overall is a pretty universally respected player. He, he doesn't – Kevin Durant doesn't miss games unless he's hurt. That's no. why you love Kevin Durant. I love him because the dude fucking puts the ball on the hoop. But, no, I, I get what you're saying. I'm trying to look at it that way. It's just really difficult. Well, well hear me out. Hear me out. guy yeah. that could have given us a chance today – pushed back our chances three years. So, okay, you didn't let me finish earlier. I was being optimistic about the future, but the other part of me is just super disappointed in the fact that these last four years were a complete and utter failure. Like, like that is the part of me that, that I can't let go of that right away. So that hurt and that sting that this era not only failed on the court, but failed the fan base in general, um, that's going to sting for the next few months. Now, the one thing that I, I find a little bit just kooky about the whole situation, when the Nets traded Kyrie Irving, there were reports that they did not think this would prompt Kevin Durant to request a trade. And there were, there were reports that they were going to build around Kevin Durant and, and make moves to appease him before the deadline. And then Kevin Durant comes to them basically silently. This wasn't a public thing. And he's like, hey, like, I'm not super happy. I don't love the way that, you know, there was the report that came out. Um, Kevin Durant and the Nets are talking about, quote, the direction of the franchise, end quote, where you know that's not good. You know that's Kevin Durant being like, uh, well, what are you guys doing? And it's probably not going to include me, so trade me. Um, what I find ridiculous is how did the Nets, how did Sean Marks and, and Joe Sy not realize that the Kyrie Irving trade process would initiate a Kevin Durant trade. Like, how did that not occur to them? That's what blows my mind. Well, did it? Here's did it occur to them, and they just play stupid? Because how? I'm sorry. How can this organization feel comfortable and stable when Kevin Durant only five months ago or four months ago was considering leaving as well? How could they not think these big blockbuster moves could prompt? him to want to go somewhere else, to be surrounded by a Devin Booker, DeAndre and Chris Paul, as opposed to a Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Spencer Dinwiddie. That logically makes sense. So it's hard for me to sit here because it's almost like the a lose-lose thought process, right? It's like, one, the Nets didn't know it, and they're delusional, or they did know it, and they allowed it. So would you rather them be stupid or ignorant? Like, I don't know. It's 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 both scenarios make our organization look incompetent. So I don't even think it's worth chatting about whether or not they knew, whether they didn't know, whether or not they realized once that one domino fell, the rest would fall. It's like, have you ever fucking played dominoes? That's how the game works. I don't think it's worth conversing about. The problem is there's something in the organization. There's a disconnect between the players and management that we can't all be on the same page and we can't get players excited to be here. And that to me is the recurring problem. Like, how did we get Brooke Lopez to stay here for eight years? Was, was he just like, or even, 
even go back. Well, it, was, it was different, different management. If that's what you're, it wasn't uh, Joe Sy or Sean. It was different guys. All right, whatever it is, different management. Pro, Prokhorov was was the owner when um, oh, true, Lopez was true. here. Um, I, I'll will tell you this. You know when I knew something was up when they when Spencer Dinwiddie got traded here and they did the press conference, like he was not that excited to be back here. You can kind of tell in his voice. You can tell the way he did the press conference. I think he liked being the second guy in Dallas alongside Luca. And I, I, you know, I think that I don't think Dinwiddie was was super crazy about being here right before he left. Like I think he could have resigned with Brooklyn after that year. He chose to go to another uh, organization, um, and I think that because when when they brought in Kyrie and KD, guys like Dinwiddie, Levert, they quickly became an afterthought. It wasn't Dinwiddie and Levert's team anymore. It was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's team. So. I do think that that Dinwiddie, you know, you seeing him come back and, and the press conference he did, he just it just looked a little awkward. It looked a little uncomfortable. Like he wasn't he wasn't ready to be a Brooklyn Net again. Um, I definitely think there's a disconnect between management and the players. I think it's an interesting point you bring up. The thing that I hate about Sean Marks in this whole process, he got abused by every other general manager in the league throughout this process. He looked like such a cuck because. You know, when, when there were reports coming out that Kevin Dur- uh, the, the Marks wanted to put together pieces around Kevin Durant to, to keep the Nets relevant, every single general manager, their their sphincters puckered up a little bit. And they were like, we're, we're not going to trade you guys for Kevin Durant to get better. He's You're going to trade him in the offseason. Why are we going to help you make Kevin Durant happy when clearly he's unhappy and we can all take advantage of that? So every single manager treated Sean Marks – like a thirsty ass bee. They talked to him about trade requests. I don't think they were ever going to pull the trigger on. And, and what did that lead to? That lead to Mark's not making a single deal after that Kyrie Irving deal, other than the Kessler Edwards deal, which who really cared about. Nobody wanted to trade with him. Finally, right? He gets one call from Phoenix because they were the, the, the organization that's been clamoring about Kevin Durant since the summer. And he makes the deal. Nick, do you think there are other teams out there that could have, maybe put in an offer for Kevin Durant. Yeah. But wasn't it like we refused to go trade with the Lakers? There no, was that was of- different. He, he didn't want to trade with the Lakers because he didn't want Kyrie Irving to go to the Lakers. I mean, I don't think the Lakers can make a play for Durant anyway, but my point is Marks did not come out looking great in this. The haul for Kevin Durant is okay. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I don't think there's a haul that you can ever be satisfied for when you're giving away a top two scorer in the entire league. But I, I don't like the way Marks came out after this. And by the way, the, the roster you read off to me, that's not a really cohesive NBA roster. We have about, I don't know, one to two point guards on the team, if that. Dinwiddie's a point guard. Sumner. And that's Sumner, and that's it. Like, Patty Mills is kind of a combo guard at this point in his career. You don't really have a real playmaker on this team. Ben Simmons – isn't Ben Simmons? So I we don't have really a count bunch him as a of very maker. we have a bunch of very talented role players. That's what wings. We Nick, we I have a million Mikhail wings. Bridges. I love Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, I like Cam Johnson. Do we need all three? You know, no. And by the way, well, did we get a center during this entire process? Did we get another big man? No, because we think Nick Claxton is all we need. We, we, if we were in Buffalo, we'd literally be called the Buffalo Wild Wings because we have so many damn wings on this team. And everyone was like, 
you know, waiting till 3 p.m. on on Tuesday on when, uh, today's Thursday. When is Mark's going to get a big man? Is he going to get anybody? You know, you saw the Raptors go and trade for Yakov Pertle. And by the way, Masai Ujiri, fucking finesse. What he did, basically gauging the interest of guys like OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, um, he, he figured out what their values are without trading him, without trading those players. So now he goes in the offseason to get a guy like Siakam. Yeah, and now they now he knows his value too. So that's what I mean when I talk about why are all these other GMs smarter and better than Sean Marks when it comes to making moves? I don't discredit Sean Marks in terms of evaluating talent. I think that's where he's good. But when it comes to making trades and all these different things, um, he's just but, not the guy. But don't those two go hand in hand? He's so good at evaluating talent, yet he thinks giving Kevin Durant for – Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and four shitty picks is a good trade talent-wise. The whole point of making a, a productive trade is giving away the amount of talent in one or two players and getting that amount of talent back in one, two, three, four players, whatever adds up to that talent level. Okay, I don't care if we traded one Kevin Durant for four less better player, well, uh, less talented players, if that makes a better team altogether talent-wise. Like, that's why we didn't really mind the Mavs trade, right? People are going to be critical of the Mavs trade and say we kind of lost because we got Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, while they got uh, Kyrie Irving, who's arguably top five scorers in the world. But we're okay with that because we filled two needs in a starting lineup. We have a Dinwiddie, who is good enough in this league to start as the one or two almost anywhere, and we have a Dorian Finney-Smith, who's good enough to start as a three or a stretch for 60 to 70% of the teams in the league. So I'm okay with that trade-off. But if you're telling me Sean Marks can evaluate talent, why did he think Mikhail Bridges and pretty much just at the time, obviously we're not even evaluating the draft picks right now, but those do carry weight. Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson pretty much comes off the bench for a Mikhail Bridges, four to three, sometimes for four if you're going small because we were instantly got rid of Jake Crowder. So I'm not even going to, preface that too that talent is lopsided that talent is we just gave a hundred dollars for 10 bucks that's the problem to me so you could tell me maybe you could say sean marks is great at uh, uh eyeing young talent in the g league or in college i thought nick claxton the, who we've developed into a great player now that's a nice call okay but who else could you really say sean marks captured at a young age traded for that ended up being great Royce O'Neal, I guess you could say, was a smart move on Sean Marks' part, but Royce O'Neal isn't threading the needle. Royce O'Neal is filling a moderate gap that, yeah. that we needed but that we like. So yeah. it's hard for me to sit here and back up your positive feedback. Well, on it's, it wasn't pot. Again, you, you take one thing I say and focus on that. I don't think Sean Marks is a good general manager up to this point. But you're saying he's good. You're trying to think of a good thing is evaluating talent. I said talent. he's decent at evaluating talent because some of the draft picks that he's drafted in the second round and late first round have turned out okay. I, that's, what, that's a fact. Okay, you can name 15 coaches in the NBA that have had better draft picks in the last five seasons than Sean Marks. If Nick Claxton's a defensive player of the year, I mean, you know. Um, we're arguing about something stupid because – it's like Stephen A. Sean, Smith and uh, Jay Williams. Do you see that? Sean Marks is our general manager right now. I, I don't think he lasts. I think he's going to be fired in the offseason. Um, I don't know if Josiah is willing to sell the team. I know a lot of Nets fans want him to because I don't think he's a great owner either. 
Um, but I think he's the one we're stuck with, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to live with that right now. I want to say one thing on that train of thought that I was saying before. The Boston Celtics, I hate them with every fiber of my being, but they're the best team in the NBA right now. And they got rid of Kyrie. They got a bunch of draft picks. They got Tatum. They got Brown. And now they have it, and they've built around these two stars, and they have an unbelievable team. Our only saving grace, besides humiliation and depression and embarrassment, is that perhaps with these draft picks, like you're saying, over the next few years, we can get our Tatum, we can get our Brown, we can get our even guys like, you know, uh, uh, Grant Williams has been so crucial for the Boston Celtics. How about Desmond uh, Bain for the Grizzlies? Desmond Bain for the Grizzlies. If we're going to sit here and look to, I you said 2025, man. I think that's too soon. With all these picks in our pocket going to like 2027, 2028, to me, this is a five-year plan. And it sucks, and I'm impatient, and I'm thinking about being 32 and recording this podcast with you and still fucking sitting in this apartment wondering what the hell we did with our lives. But <laughs> – that's a sad thought to me. It has, it has an optimistic side if we're really thinking long-term, if we're really rebuilding from the ground up, but that was not what we wanted to do. That's not what we spent the last five years and the moves we made doing, having to reset once again. So I'm going to say, I know you're a little more positive thinker than I am, and I keep coming back to this being dooming. The only grain of salt in this sand dune is that we might – the only like nice diamond spec in the sand dune is that a five-year plan with the right draft picks and the development of the right players could be very crucial and positive for us in the next couple of years. So I have a great sort of video that someone should do. You remember in Big Daddy when Adam Sandler goes to visit his old girlfriend and she's with uh, the older man, Sid? Yes. There should be a clip of at the very end of Big Daddy when they're at Hooters – and Adam Sandler runs, runs into his ex-girlfriend and her and Sid are working at Hooters. And uh, the, the joke is um, the, the joke is when they first met, uh, Sandler's ex-girlfriend said he has a five-year plan. And Adam Sandler said, what is it? Don't die. And then at the very end in the last scene, um, Sandler says, I guess that, I guess that five-year plan is looking more like a 10-year plan. Yeah, because he's that's, working at Hooters. That's kind of the Brooklyn Nets. Like – we, we had this vision of greatness. You should meme that. You should also post that on the Fireside account. Keith McPherson, I'll, I'll shout him out because I, I think he's one of the more intelligent people uh, on Nets Twitter. He's also a really great radio host on WFAN. Check him out. I believe he works uh, week, week, uh, weeknights. So like 9 to 12, KM till AM is what he calls it. Um, he said that this entire era of Brooklyn Nets basketball was, was purely based on hype. It was all based on potential. There was no actual, like, we never got to see them compete against the Warriors or or the Suns in the finals or even, like, outside. We never got to see a Sixers-Nets playoff series with KD and Kyrie because they never got far enough. So part of me is relieved that we don't have to keep going through this Oh, championship or bust, championship or bust. Nick, we, ne- we never even sniffed uh, a conference final. So, like, what are we talking about with championship or bust? We were never even close. Um, yeah, but when you have a guy like KD on their team, there's always hope. So I get what sure, you're saying. That's, we that's never fine. got as close. But to quote uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. Saying there's a chance. 
Um, all right, real quick, what do you think about, you know, the impact? I'm sorry, not the impact, just the rest of the season. How is this going to play out? Who Who's going to take control of this team? Who are going to be the leaders of this team? Uh, what are you looking to see as, as we close out this season, which, you know, I don't think either of us are very excited about? I think Spencer Dinwiddie has to immediately become a vocal presence on this team. I think he ha- he's been a net before. Uh, he's thrived in Brooklyn before, especially during COVID. Uh, he came out of a shell. That's why he got that deal in Dallas. Now he's back. He had a great season so far for the Mavs, averaging 17, 18 a game, shooting 46, 47%, super efficient, worked really well with Luka. He now has to be the vocal leader on this team. I also am going to put a lot of pressure as the leader in, Mik- in Mikel Bridges, and I'll tell you why. Efficient scorer, amazing defender, and when Booker's been out uh, the past couple of weeks, he just came back. I think it was with a groin injury. Mikhail Bridges stepped the F up in every category and became a go-to scorer in a lot of games. CP3 was out for a while too. Aiton's been in and out. And Mikhail Bridges, after those three, stepped up to be the number one scorer on the team when they needed him most. I'm looking at Dinwiddie. I'm looking at Mikhail Bridges. And I hate to say this because we're all looking at him still as Ben Simmons. Maybe this is good for Ben Simmons to be surrounded by almost even or less par players with him. Obviously right now they're playing better than him. A lot of these guys, but maybe Simmons felt this pressure with Durant, with Kyrie uh, to, to perform higher expectations. The pr- ben Simmons, the pressure is off of you. Not only do we think we're going to drop in playoff seed, we might like not even have a chance towards the end of the season to one, make the playoffs to even be considered a first round win in hell. So all the, all the pressure is off of Ben Simmons to win now and to step up now, which I hate to say it, he's probably benefiting the most from this because his mentality, what he's been struggling with this whole time, whether it's been uh, pressure, whether it's been the yips, whatever you want to call it, he hasn't been able to perform anywhere near his prime. So maybe this wakes up Ben Simmons, resets his clock along with the Nets, along with everybody else. So to me... Those three things I'm looking for, I'm looking for Mikel and Dan Witte to take control of the team, and I'm looking for Simmons to, again, step up. If not, we might be fucked. The Ben Simmons stuff is so sad, right? Like, he came in last year in the Harden deal. Marks took a chance on him. There was that playoff series against the Celtics where the Nets had to basically, like, speak about Ben Simmons and why he wasn't playing and – you know, we went through all that to get to the offseason to think, all right, well, he's still on the roster and we're, hopefully he's back and we'll see him in action and we'll get this Philadelphia Ben Simmons who was a high-flying, you know, defensive stud who can create off the dribble for guys and go to the rim. And he just doesn't have it right now. He hasn't had it all season. Will he get it back? That's the real question. I don't know. But in a season where the Nets went from – you know, the second or third best team in the East to now in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, he has been no part of that. And as they were looking for trade partners, it was sad to hear Ben Simmons had little to no trade value, which is like one of the most depressing because we traded James Harden for this guy. James Harden is a snub. He got snubbed by the all-star. Like he's an all-star James. So he's James Harden's one of the best guards in the last 10 years. And he's, he might not be, you know, as good as he was in the Rockets. He's still fucking elite. And we traded James Harden away for Ben Simmons, who let's face it has maybe been the ninth most productive player this season for the Brooklyn Nets. It's been you know bad. The, you know what the worst part is? Kyrie 
as much of a headache as he is, as much of a, a, a liability as he is off the court, he always performs on the court. And of course, Ben Simmons, for as much of a liability he is off the court, as much of a head, headache he's been, it affected his on-court play more than anybody I've ever seen in the NBA. And so you got guys like Kyrie, you got guys like Harden, and like you said, Harden, his productivity went down, but he's still an elite player, and he's still a championship contender with, with when he's surrounded by Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Maxi, and those guys. So Simmons, to me, it's such a problem because – you know what? The headache's one thing if you're winning games. The headache's one thing if you're adri- averaging a triple-double. The headache's a whole nother thing if you're averaging seven, six, and six, and you don't want to go up under the hoop for a layup. It's a tough look. It's a tough look. And and I want to say one more thing about performance uh, for the Nets this season, and then I have a, a message that I want to give the fan base. But just think about this, Nick. The Nets had a 20-game stretch where they were 18 and two. Think about that. It was the best 20 game stretch in the history of the Nets franchise. And less than a month later, maybe a little bit more than a month later, they are gutting the roster and rebuilding the team. That is insane to think about. You you just don't hear about that, how a team has that much in-season success only to, to just tear it apart before the all-star break it's it's absolutely ridiculous um sean marks and Josai failed the brooklyn nets fan base kevin durant kyrie irving and james harden the three of them collectively failed the brooklyn nets fan base and i just want to you know i want to give a message to everybody out there who roots for the nets who listens to the show this time period is going to show who the real fans are we can get frustrated with our organization. We can get frustrated with the front office. Um, and by the way, I, the one guy I feel bad for, this is a little bit of a, a side tangent, Jacques Vaughn has done such a good job this year since since Nash you know, resigned. And uh, I feel bad for Jacques Vaughn because the shit that he's had to put up with, he, he's had a smile on his face the entire time. He just He's been handling this opportunity as well as you can handle it. And uh, I give him a lot of credit. I hope he sticks around. He's someone that I would like to build around. Um, but back to my original point, this is going to be a really tough time for, for the Nets fan base. People are going to stop going to games because we don't have a superstar. We don't have an all-star on the team right now. People are going to lose interest because we're not as good. Real fans are going to show their true colors. The ones that are watching every game, the ones that are going to a few games a season, um, just supporting the team in general, supporting the players, supporting the guys that are are giving their all out there. I mean, shout out to Cam Thomas. You know, if, if there anybody could have taken advantage of no Kyrie and no KD, and Cam Thomas was the guy who's like, "Give me the fucking ball. I'm gonna drop 40 points in three straight games." Shout out to Cam Thomas. Shout out to Nick Claxton, who has played out of his mind this year. Despite everything going on, he was in trade rumors. People thought we might move him for Pascal Siakam. He's been great this season. And I I just want fans to, you know, understand that we took a big swing over the last four years and we whiffed. We whiffed three times in a row. But don't stop rooting for the team because of that. Don't. Don't do it. Don't. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is continue to support the guys on this team. Continue to support the organization. There's going to be better days ahead. We just got to hang tough. 
we'll get through this, but I, I think that we have enough picks and enough assets to the point where I do think there's a two to three year window where we can really work on improving this roster, developing a new culture, figuring out who our young studs are, who our leaders are going to be and go from there. And my favorite part about doing this podcast and reacting is we do not have to deal with the superstar bullshit. We do not have to deal with Kyrie Irving's antics. And I'm very happy about that because, you know, whether it was the vaccination thing or the anti-Semitic documentary thing, or even that first year when, when he took a few days off and there were videos of him at his relative's birthday party thing, we had to sit there and take it as fans because this guy is one of the best players in the world. And I'm happy that we don't have to do that anymore. My, my, my big thing for the Nets, find players that are talented. Also, find high-character, high-class players and make sure that they get along with management and they get along with the front office and they get along with the owner. That's all I have to say about that. Do you have any message for the fan base before we end the show? Take care of yourselves. Dark times ahead. No, I mean, yeah, but like. Find shelter. Tell your your kids you love them. And pray to God every night. I don't normally drink before 5 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon. That's not true. But this glass of whiskey is for you guys. It's for the city of Brooklyn. It's for the history of the Nets franchise from the J-Kid years to the Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez years, all the way to the D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie years, and now to the post-Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era. Here's to you guys, and, and here's to everything and every reason why I root for the Brooklyn Nets. Cheers. Peace.